There's nothing that brings greater joy in our human experience than a loving relationship. Nothing more dear to us than families that love one another. God made us for relationship. And so there's always joy with it when it is genuine love. However, most relationships on this earth are under pressure to maintain that relationship. And often they are trying to perform and trying to do what they can to solve the problems of the relationship. And as old Charlie Brown said, nothing takes the taste out of peanut butter like unrequited love. (laughs) And what should be a joyful, wonderful relationship can be a great stress and pressure in our lives. Former UCLA football coach Pepper Rogers, after a disastrous season, said, I had only one friend, my dog. (laughs) Even my wife was mad at me. And I told her a man ought to at least have two friends. She agreed and bought me another dog. (laughs) So sometimes relationships bring more pain or pressure or more stress than the joy that they ought to bring. But I want to tell you folks, our relationship with God does not have to be that way. And tonight we're going to talk about extreme love. Extreme love. There are times as you look throughout history when God, God's people so responded in a proper biblical way to the love of God that the love of God seemed to permeate every place you would go in that area. The Lewis Awakening was certainly one of those times, really one of the last major moves of God in the Western world. One of the ladies said, I felt as if the Spirit of the Lord was in the very air that we were breathing. And it was just wonderful. The atmosphere was not just in the church, but everywhere. Agnes Morrison said, wherever we were, whatever we were doing and wherever we were, we were conscious of the presence of God. We had no desire to go to sleep. Even though we had so little sleep, we were not tired. And she went on to say, God was in the homes. God was speaking to people at their daily work. The consciousness of the divine was everywhere. Now we look at that as remarkable. In fact, we can almost look at that as being spectacular. But I want to submit to you here this evening, that's our inheritance. Not necessarily a great move at the moment that would be obvious in a community, but my friends, the presence of God and the wonderful awareness of our walk with Him, that's what God wants us to have in the normal Christian life. But unfortunately, that seems like something that is so abnormal to many American believers. And we've all struggled with wrong perceptions about our relationship with God. So tonight, I'm going to just lay the groundwork. We're going to be talking about this all week long. But I want you to go with me to John chapter 15. And we're going to look at just three verses here that I believe really help us understand the love of God for us and how God wants us to respond. As you know, this is in the wonderful passage on abiding in Christ. In fact, the larger context is the final time that the Lord had with his disciples prior to the crucifixion. The disciples were very aware of what the Lord had said, that he was going to go away. They did not understand it all. There was a cloud over them. There was a deep sense of emotion going on. That Last Supper, uh, which has become our pattern of the Lord's table, uh, was a time of deep emotion. And then he goes into teaching, the beautiful teaching of what we call the Upper Room Discourse in chapter 14 of John. And there he speaks of the fact that we will be able to do greater works than even he did because he's going to send a comforter. 
And he was going to dwell in us. And he was going, and he's going to join us in union with the Father and the Son. And oh, how that must have been precious truth as the, uh, the disciples later, as the Spirit of God had come upon them, mold over those great teachings. But then the Lord said, let's go. And they started the pathway from the south part of Jerusalem, Mount Zion, headed toward uh, the east and down into the valley of Kedron over to the Garden of Gethsemane. And on that pathway, you have that wonderful passage on abiding in Christ, having that constant union with Him. By the way, we are in union with Him regardless of whether we're abiding or not. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. So that's a fact. We're part of the vine. The branch and the vine are one. But the whole teaching that he gave in that passage was the fact that we are to fully depend upon him and allow him to give us his life so that we can bear much fruit. And then he builds on it with, uh, with these wonderful uh, truths starting in verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Now, folks, those are shouting ground verses. You get a hold of what Jesus was telling his disciples, it is glorious. He's talking here about extreme love. So the first thing I want us to see, he declared the reality of God's love. And I want to just look at this declaration here. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus declares that he loves us. Now, folks, that's God Almighty. Jesus Christ is the creator. He is the all-powerful one. And when he says, I love you, that settles it. But as was said earlier in the night, often that's not fully believed. We put over our perception of God, our experiences of the past, our relationships with our father or mother, the other authorities that have been in our life. And we skew, we have a skewed view of the love of God. And so the natural response in our lives is a sense of a conditional relationship. And to really understand the love of God, it takes spiritual illumination to get a hold of it and the willingness just to believe that what God says, it's true. Amen. Friend, he loves you. Now, I, want to, I want you to stop for just a minute and accept that. He loves you. Jesus loves you. Thiessen, the theologian, said, in the larger sense of the term, the goodness of God includes all the qualities that answer to our conception of an ideal personage. That is, it includes the qualities of his holiness, righteousness, and truth, as well as his love, benevolence, mercy, and grace. Now, we would all, if you are a Bible-believing Christian, you know anything about the Word of God, we would all defend the perfection of our God. We would all talk about His perfect holiness, and out of that comes His perfect mercy and grace. He is a just God, but He is also a long-suffering God, and He is a God of love. And so, no matter how marred our view of authority may be, no matter how hurt we have been in relationships in the past, no matter how insecure we are in our own lives, wondering whether people really accept us, the Word of God presents God as perfect in His love. Amen. And the word that is used by Bible writers, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is a word that was taken, not used commonly, and you all know that word, agape. Agape love. Paul ends, the theologian said, agape denotes a reasoned out love rather than an emotionally based love, but not void of emotion, very much filled with emotion. One that loves the object irrespective of the worth of the object. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. And even though the love may not be reciprocated. 
Now we're going to talk about that here. So it is a decision of the will of God. And when God decides, he decides. Now you say, Brother Van Gogh, you're being very elementary. Well, we need to get this one down. Okay, this, this is where we stumble. If you don't get the fact that God loves you, you're in trouble. Because you're going to have a total wrong set of reactions and thinking about God in your spiritual life. And you are going to be so frustrated in this matter of being a Christian. So, God loves us. He loves us unconditionally. And God wants a relationship with us. Now, I cannot parse all of the aspects of why God created us. Uh, you, think, you think long and hard. It's an amazing thing. But God created us in his image. God created us with an eternal spirit. God created us like him without, of course, his attributes and his greatness. But he created us with an ability to have a satisfying relationship with us. We are satisfied by our rela his relationship with us. But somehow beyond my ability to even begin to describe, he's satisfied when we have a real relationship with him. Isn't that amazing? Don't you love it when somebody likes to be with you? There's got to at least be somebody, you know, that likes to be with you. In fact, somebody that loves to be with you. They do anything they could to be with you. You know, by the way, husbands and wives, that was the way it was when you were courting one another. Now, how's it going right now? Okay, now... Uh, you can lose your whole perspective here if you don't get that right. But, uh, and I, I don't mean at all to bring God down here, but the point is he wants to be with us. He really does. You're important to him. You see, being God, he can love you more individually, even though he loves the whole world, than a, just an individual person with another person. The prophet Hosea, that heart-rending minor prophet, talks about the fact in chapter 11, verse 4, I drew them, oh Israel, what a problem they were. But he said, I drew them with cords of a man with bands of love. Her daily bread uh, once gave the illustration about the naturalist S.L. Bastian who told of a certain kind of spider that built its uh, nest uh, in the branch of a small tree or bush. And this was just a delicate enclosure and the little baby spiders were hatched there. And if the nest was disturbed, the little spiders would, would, get, uh, would immediately start to, to move which would put them in great danger. Well, there was a solution to this. Immediately, the mother was alerted to that danger. And the reason she was able to know that the danger was there is that each young one had a thin, silky strand attached to it, and all of these threads were joined to the body of the mother. When the babies were threatened, they, she felt the tug, and she instantly pulled them back to the nest where they were protected from harm. My friends, God is aware of each one of us. We're smaller than little baby spiders <laughs> to an almighty God, but he's got a cord of love attached to you. I mean, he knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your burdens. He is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. God is wanting to do everything he can to pull you right back into that relationship with you. God wants to have a relationship with us. And when you get a hold of that, folks, it gives you great hope, encouragement, and confidence. John 13, 1, it always touches me every time I read it. It's on the front end of that time there in the upper room. Uh, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And all you have to do is read the Gospels. That's an amazing thing. Man, if I had that bunch as a staff, you know, that, that would be uh, uh, pretty tough uh, to uh, handle. But uh, he loved them to the end. And he loves us to the end. I love what A.W. Tozer said, with the goodness of God to desire our highest welfare, the wisdom of God to plan it, and the power of God to achieve it, what do we lack with a God that loves us? Everything we need, we have in him. And so he 
has proven his love to us. Before I move on here, he chose to love us, but he proved it on the cross. My friend, you can never make an argument with me that God doesn't love you. 2,000 years ago, the son of the living God hung on that cross. And literally, in him, you and I, we were represented. And when he hung on that cross, we know it, we talk about it a lot, but my friends, sometimes we need to meditate upon it. He took our very life and our sins and he bore it completely on that cross. And oh, what suffering he bore. Oh, it was a couple of months ago. Every so often I need to meditate on hell. Uh, you know, it's so easy for us to be light about hell. I mean, it just honestly, if you take some time to think about it, you can't be the same. I remember God really broke my heart some, some weeks back. Well, my friends, Jesus Christ, and I don't fully understand all that happened on the cross, but he bore my hell for me. And if you're saved here today, you're not going there. You are not going to, to suffer the punishment. Jesus suffered it. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He loved them unto the end. He thought of you and he loved you. He bore it for you. Oh, we can say, well, it's the attribute of God, but my friends, it was demonstrated at the cross. That cross is the great demonstration of the love of God. A.B. Simpson talks about one of the most distinguished statesmen uh, at the time of the American Revolution was once a hopeless drunkard. He had been engaged to a beautiful girl, but his dissipation had uh, compelled her to break the engagement and severed uh, the influence because uh, she didn't want to have his influence in her life and drag her down. But she didn't cease to love him, and she prayed for him. One day she passed along a road and saw him not, uh, he was lying intoxicated by the sidewalk. His face was exposed to the blistering, broiling sun and was swollen uh, with the drink and the exposure. Her tender heart was moved and as she passed by, she took her handkerchief and gently spread it over his sleeping, stupefied face. An hour or two later, he finally awoke and saw the handkerchief, and her name was on the corner of it. He sprang to his feet, and a glad thrill of hope and courage came to his heart. She loves me still. All is not lost. For her sake, I will redeem my life. And he did, and became one of the great heroes of the American Revolution. Well, that's just human love. Folks, as bad as that scene is, Oh, wretched men and women that we are. And in our wicked state, he put his handkerchief of love over us. And I'm telling you, it's a wonderful thing. He had no reason to love us. He, we had nothing to offer him. We have, we have disobeyed him. We have rebelled against him. We have done nothing to earn his love. And I want you to remember that. There is nothing we have ever done to earn the love of God. But he loved us. His banner over us is love. Spurgeon says it this way, that laying down of life in our Lord's case was especially a proof of love. For he died voluntarily. There was no necessity upon him as upon us to die. Other men, if they would have died for us, would have but paid the debt of nature a little before time. But Jesus died who needed not to die so far as he himself was concerned. He died also amid circumstances of pain and shame and desertion, which made that death peculiarly bitter. The death of the cross is to us the highest proof of our Savior's infinite love of us. He must die the death of a felon between two thieves, utterly friendless, the object of general ridicule, and this he must do as bearing our sins in his own body. All this makes us say, behold how he loved us. 
Oh, beloved, can we doubt Christ's love since he laid down his life? But I want to submit to you, as glorious a statement as that is, there's one more thing that's not included there. The thing that proves his love for us is that the Trinity was broken in its perfect unity. That is just, there's no way to even begin to comprehend that. When Jesus hung on that cross, my friends, that absolute glorious unity, we serve one God in three persons. But my ugly, wicked sin separated the Son from the Father because he was willing to love me and, and identify with me. And God the Father turned his back on his Son. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then the God the Father poured all the wrath of Almighty God and his justice upon his Son. He couldn't look upon him, for he saw me and he saw you. That, I think, was the greatest suffering. I think that's why he sweat great drops of blood. That's just inconceivable. Because relationship means much to God. But now I want to get to the second aspect, not the second point here, but the second aspect of this matter of love. The measure of his love, it is extreme. Look back with me, if you would, at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. He didn't just say, I love you as God the Son. The greatest love in the entire universe is the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is perfect, glorious love. It is a love that has existed throughout all eternity. There's no beginning or end. It is without measure. The fullness of the love of the Father for his Son and the fullness of the love of the Son for his Father is exactly the love that Jesus has for you. That's extreme. That's big. That's way beyond what I can try to describe. But that's what it says. And this is where we have to put away feelings and experience and background and problems that we have. If God said it, it's so. As the Father loved the, loves me, that's the fullness of the love I have towards you. It doesn't end. It's not conditional. It's without measure. In math, an infinite number divided by any number will still have an infinite quotient. So Christ's love being divided by everyone is still absolutely full. So I mean, it's not, he gives you a slice of his love. He gives you all of his love. And do you not get in his humanity how when he talks about his father, how much he loves him? And how much he wants to do what his father has told him to do because of that love relationship? Now, friends, Satan wants to come along and tell you, oh, God's just about done with you. Yeah, there's something wrong with you. Well, just tell him, you're right. There's something wrong with all of us, okay? <laughs> but it doesn't affect the fact that God loves you. Jesus loves you as much as the Father loves the Son. One time a father wanted to teach his son the lesson of God's good goodness. I love this story. He took him to the top of a high hill and pointed northward over Scotland, southward over England, eastward over the ocean, westward over hill and valley, and then sweeping his arm around the whole circling horizon. He said, Johnny, my boy, God's love is as big as all that. But the boy's response is what's wonderful. His eyes got real big, and then with sparkling eyes, he said, why, father? then we must be right in the middle of it. <laughs> you're right in the middle of it. I mean, you are. I mean, you're not on the side. You're not out, you know, in left field or right field. There won't be any left field, right field this, this summer. But anyway, uh, uh, you're, you're, not, you're not away from that. You're in the very center of God's love. I can't help but quote Romans 8, 37, Nay, in all these things... 
We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That covers it all. I'm in. And so are you. Nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God. Well, what's the directed response that God gives, or the Lord gives here, to his love, to Christ's love? Well, the command is to continue in his love. We need to accept it. Now, this is the big issue, as, as was mentioned. Do we believe it? Let's look again. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. All right. The fact is, he loves you. But for you to allow the love of God to do what it, God wants it to, be, to do in your life to accomplish his purpose, you must make the decision to abide in the reality of the love. You've got to believe it. You've got to accept it that it is true and open your heart to God. C.H. Spurgeon says, There is a fleet lying in the river, richly laden, but it cannot come up because the river is blocked with ice. So I see my master's love lying out far down the river, and it would gladly come to my poor soul to enrich me and make me holy and heavenly. But the coldness of my heart, like ice, blocks up the channel, and I get not what I might obtain. Self-interest. Unwillingness to yield to the Lord. Anything that keeps me from desiring Him will block the reality. Now, I want to make it very clear. Does it change the fact that the reality of God's love to you? But does it change the fact that God's love is real? No. See, everything I said, I said it strongly because I want you to get this. See, right here's where we trip up. All right. Pastor Van Gelderen's going to get to it. Here's my problem. Okay. Well, yes, this is what we're going to do. But I want you to realize, folks, whatever I tell you here, he still loves you. And his love is ready to meet you in that need right now. And so we need to understand that the self-life focusing on what we want, listening to the deception of the evil one, not willing to believe that he really loves us, not willing to let the word of God correct our thinking, it will keep us from experiencing the powerful reality of his love. Another area is don't try to earn it. Here's what happens. Oh, I want to have a relationship with God. Oh, I want to learn what it means to pray. So you sit down and try to figure out all that's wrong with you. By the way, if you stay, if you stay there too long, it's going to really be depressing. Okay, I just want to warn you that. That's really a bad thing to do. Uh, and so you start getting introspective and you're thinking, I've got to solve this and I've got to do that. Oh, I'm never going to measure up there. Oh, I do want to learn to pray. I, I want to love God, but I am just, you know, I'm just not going to make it. You're back to works. You're back to religion. God loves you. Let me suggest something to you. Why not just invite his, just ask for his reality to be in your life while you're dealing with your sin? Did you know you can fellowship with God while he's convicting you? You can fellowship with God when he's revealing that sin. You can fellowship with God when he's peeling those layers back. You're not earning your way to God. You already have him. He's already in your spirit, the spirit of the living God. And I'm telling you, some of the greatest times you can have is when God deals with you and you realize his presence and you realize you're just about to get free. He's giving you truth. He's dealing with sin. He's encouraging your heart. He's right there. He's loving you. Even while you're having to deal with those matters. Remember, he already loves you as the Father loves him. Why don't you let him love you through your growth, through your questions, through your heartaches, through those perplexities of life. He's there to walk with you 
Now, certainly we seek him, but you'll always find him. You draw near to him, he'll draw nigh to you. He's knocking on your heart's door right now. He wants to have supper with you. He wants to fellowship. He's going to tell you. Now, he may have to he's fellowship with me and let me have it, you know. But, you know, I love my dad, and he was real honest with me at times, but I had good fellowship with him. Ooh, you know. But I didn't reject him or try to earn his love. We just worked through those things together. Oh, that's so important. Among the first glimpses we get of God is that of the seeker. Adam, where art thou? You know, he said in Genesis 3.9. And commenting upon this question to his Bible class, the teacher said, you can never be a preacher if you read this as though God were a policeman. Read it as though God were a broken-hearted father looking for his lost child. Where are you? He knew where, but he was getting him to respond. I like this. A pastor remarked, when Mary and Martha sent to Jesus their message, it was not, Lord, he loveth thee, but Lord, he whom thou lovest is sick. You see, he loves us. A gentleman who was a Christian, professed to be a Christian, was taken seriously ill, and he was really troubled about his lack of love for the Lord. He knew he was potentially facing death, and, and so a friend was there, and this friend wisely said this, when I go home from here, I expect to take my baby on my knee, look into her sweet eyes, listen to her charming prattle, and tired as I am, her presence will rest me. For I love that child with unutterable tenderness. But she loves me little. If my heart were breaking, it wouldn't disturb her sleep. If my body were racked with pain, it would not interrupt her play. If I were dead, she would forget me in a few days. Besides this, she has never brought me a penny, but it's a constant expense to me. I am not rich, but there is not enough money in the world to buy my baby. How is it? Does she love me or do I love her? Do I withhold my love until I know she loves me? Am I waiting for her to do something worthy of my love before extending it? And this practical illustration caused tears to roll down that sick man's face. And he said, oh, I see. It's not my love to God, but God's love for me. And then he says, to think about it, right now I love him more than I ever have before. Amen. Folks, the baby illustration we're in even worse shape. But he loves us. A dad, wouldn't, a dad would sell everything to keep his baby. The father gave his son to gain you. That's a very good illustration. Think about how little you think about God. How little you really respond to him. And you see, we get aware of that when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit and we think, oh, you know, there's something wrong with me. And, uh, and so we've got to understand that he loves us and that he, we do not earn his love. And then we need to continue in his love. Uh, if you'll notice there in verse uh, 10, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, right here is where we can get tripped up. Aha! Performance acceptance. I got to keep his commandments. Oh, you missed the whole point here, folks. Okay. He says now, if you keep my commandments, ye shall abide. You will stay in that full resting, trusting relationship with Christ, that is the key. Now, we've got to understand these precious verses. Uh, John 14, 15, just the chapter before, you can see, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Hmm. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said unto them, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Whoa, the Father and the Son will dwell with us, and we already have the Spirit. Folks, 
Do you realize we've got a Trinity fellowship going on here? Amen. John 15, 14, ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Now, folks, we have to have, we need to get a full understanding of this perspective here. The idea of commandment is the idea of, a, of an injunction given by one that has the right of authority, but it's a precept. It is that which comes out of the one that uh, we uh, should follow because of the character and the position of that person. Now, he says, if you love me, you will keep all that I'm teaching and giving to you. In other words, you're going to agree with what is coming out of my very person. Folks, the Ten Commandments are a revelation of the attributes of God. All the precepts of the Word of God speak to who God is. Uh, it's all about the person of God. And, of course, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the attributes of God, that which makes him glorious, such as the love of God that we're talking about. And so what this is speaking of here, if you love me, you are going to embrace and cherish what I have shared from my heart about myself, which is going to be that which glorifies me and which will be that which delivers you. And this is going to be, this is my, from my very heart. I'm telling you, if you really love somebody, you listen to what they say. It's not when my wife uh, asks something or does something, not because she's commanding me, but I want to hear that because I want to please her. Now, here's really what I want you to get. He's been giving the Trinity here. And he's saying, I love you, and I want you to stay in that love, and here's how you do it. By getting to be part of the thinking of God himself. What brings the unity of the Trinity? Well, there are many things, but it's the fact they are of one mind. The Father agreed, um, the Son agreed with the Father. The Spirit speaks of that which uh, the Father gives. In other words, all of the Trinity are of one mind. If we love him, we are going to want to get into that inner circle, that kindred spirit of oneness with God. It's not duty-bound obedience. It is the joy of agreeing with God himself about that which is true, that which is him, that which he has revealed. And it is you become convinced that he has my best interest in heart and everything that he's teaching me, everything, every precept that he's giving, every expectation he has is that which is glorious and I fully agree with and I embrace it and I, I want to have the same heart that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have. You see, we are in Christ at the throne. We are in that relationship between the Father and Son because of the position that God has given us. And so to experience the love of the Father for the Son and for us and the Spirit and all of that, we just need to get into fellowship with God. That's what it's about. Instead of, got to do this, got to do this, no, no. But it's said over and over, is it not? If you love me, what? You're really going to want to do what I've told you because you believe it. Yes. It's good. You accept it. You're excited about it. You know it. You know that uh, that it's right. I remember when I turned the corner with my parents, and I realized what they're telling me that I used to chafe at. I think that's good. That was a miracle, but I got it. Uh, that's when I got right with the Lord and got some. But I remember thinking that's really good. I agree with you, Dad. And I got on Dad's side. In fact, I started thinking Dad's a little weak. You know, he doesn't, he's not dealing with the, my younger brother like he should. Uh, there's some truth to that. But uh, I probably got 80% of the discipline in the family. He learned well, as we were talking about a little bit earlier. But, uh, but the fact is that there's nothing like having a kindred spirit. Why are we here today together? We've got a kindred spirit. Amen. Nobody's telling you to do anything. You just, you love the... You love the brother, right? I mean, it's just, it's wonderful. Well, we love the, our relationship with God. So if you love me, you're going to do right. You see, 
Fundamentalists have been very fearful of talking about love because many have taught in the evangelical realm that love, if you have a love relationship with the Father, it doesn't really matter what you do with your body. It's almost a dualism. Uh, the body, yeah, you know, it's just the spirit that matters. And we've been afraid of that, and I understand that because there's been a lot of wrong teaching. But my friends, it's the love of God that draws our heart to God that causes us to long to be like him. We're in agreement. We want to see his purpose go forward. We want to be like him. We want to glorify him. Uh, it's, it's liberty. It's freedom from the from self. It's glorious victory over sin. We are on his side. And I'm telling you, when you have that love relationship and you're not performance oriented, you're not trying to get there to God, but instead you realize that he loves you and you've got that ongoing relationship. Well, if I... If I'm living in that love relationship, then I'm, I'm cherishing and obeying what he says. That just goes with it. By the way, there's great freedom when you have it that way. And I think we've done a real disservice to a lot of young people by making them think somehow they've got to earn some kind of relationship with God. Oh, listen, I'm all for holiness. You know that. But the holiness of God will come only by God. It's, it's a miracle, and it's, what, it's the work of Jesus Christ. Nate Saint, one of those five missionaries who gave their lives for the Aka people, he said uh, his life did not change until he came to grips with the idea that obedience is not a momentary option. It's a die-cast decision made beforehand. I love God. Therefore, I will. Uh, so important. Now, in the more practical sense, a little boy was riding his tricycle furiously around the block over and over again. Finally, a policeman stopped and asked him why he was going round and around. The boy said he was running away from home. Then the policeman asked, why did he keep going around the block? The boy responded, because my mom said I'm not allowed to cross the street. <laughs> <laughs> So there's some very practical aspects of keeping his commandments. In other words, it's that cord of love. It's that protection. Young people, let me just tell you, when you come across what God tells you to do, it's love. He knows what will hurt you. He knows exactly what will bankrupt your life. He knows the traps of Satan. He knows the deception. And he just wants to gather you to himself. He wants to just love you to death. I mean, he just really wants to have that relationship. So the whole matter of obeying him is staying in that love relationship. Boyce says that love relationship, we can be encouraged by this, knowing that the one who instructs us has himself set the pattern and will give us strength to do as he requires. In other words, he will enable us. Well, much could be said about that. Folks, aren't you thankful for the extreme love of God? And we need to keep in that relationship. But finally, just quickly here, what's the wonderful desired result of Christ's love? It doesn't get any better than this, folks. Look at verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you that your life can just be miserable. <laughs> no, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Now, we talked about the fact that he loves us as the Father loves him. Now, here's another one of these unbelievable extreme statements. He says, I and uh, these things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain, abide in you. The joy of an eternal God. The joy of the one who won the victory on the cross. The joy of the one who, who thrust the entire universe into place and, and said that it was good. That unhindered, perfect joy of the Savior is the joy that he'll give us if we are living in that personal relationship. Joy unspeakable. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Why did Paul talk about that so much? Because it was the evidence of whether he was walking with God or not. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Isn't that interesting? Love, joy. So, Several things here, Christ's joy. It's not deterred by suffering or any other circumstance. You can't take away my joy if I'm walking with him. Man, I'm telling you, if you meet with God every morning, 
you, your joy can't be taken away. It's not happiness. It's not happenstance. It's not circumstance. It is divine, miraculous work in your spirit. And I'm telling you, when you start feeling the heart throb of Jesus himself and his joy, you just can navigate whatever comes your way. In fact, you can actually count it all joy when you fall into different trials. And all that should be a girl in a mission school in India saying all day as she went around her doing her tasks. When she asked why she was so happy, she said, I've been redeemed from idolatry. And you can never know what that means. I'm at liberty. It's like slipping suddenly from midnight darkness into brightest noontime of glory. And that's where we need to be living. And I'm telling you, you're reminded of that when you meet with Jesus. Friends, you know, you can meet with Jesus all the time. You can, you can enjoy his love, that relationship. As you're working through things and, and, and having to grow and having to deal with things, you can have that joy if your heart is open to him. But unfortunately, the world would uh, almost be characterized by this statement. It's never too late to have a happy childhood. <laughs> a lot of adults are still trying like kids to go around trying to find joy. A lot of Christians are. Why don't Christians go to church throughout the week? Why do they go do things that aren't really the highest priority? Why do they watch things and get involved in things that are not of the highest priority of serving the Lord? That's because their hearts are not filled with joy and they are looking for that. Charles Spurgeon was emphasizing to his class the importance of making facial expressions to harmonize the speech that they were giving, their preaching. When you speak of heaven, he said, let your face light up. Let it be irradiated with heavenly gleam. Let your eyes shine with reflected glory. But when you speak of hell, well, just use your ordinary face. <laughs> and unfortunately, I think that is all true that... Uh, uh, we don't show the joy. Listen, our Christianity ought to be so attractive, our kids don't want anything else but the God that we got. Amen. And this community and your community ought to just sense the joy rating. I love it when I have a visitor say, I walked in the building and I just sense the love of God and the joy of the Lord. Man, I just want to shout. Wish that would happen all the time, but that's what it's all about. In a dark world, we have a God that's in control. And uh, we can have that joy. The joy of the Lord is a wonderful thing. And then it should be continual. He says, now remain in that joy. Continue to trust. Continue to open your heart. Continue to allow me to fellowship with you. Don't be afraid of my will for you. What I am teaching you, what I'm expecting of you, it's coming out of love. And as you learn to have a supper as John of uh, uh, Revelation chapter 3 talks about knocking on the door. I want to come in and sup with you. When you're constantly enjoying fellowship with God, then there will be continual joy, even as you are going through the issues of life. Oh, David knew that even in the Old Testament dispensation. Psalm 51:12, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And Paul, of course, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But that's not all. Your joy might be full. I don't even know how to explain that. Romans 15, 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. It overrides everything else. It should overflow in our life. Folks, if you want to know whether you're experiencing the love of God on a regular basis, how's your joy meter doing? How's your attitude? Now, I'm not trying to be, I'm not talking about necessarily, you know, you can be crying at the same time you have joy in your heart. I'm not trying to talk about a false enthusiasm or zeal, but I am telling you, when you meet with Jesus, there's joy there. I mean, it's wonderful to meet with the Savior. He is real. He loves you. He wants to spend the, your life down here with you in a special way. Why? Because there are people that he wants that joy to be, to be evidenced and to have your life count so that he can reach many more. 
God wants to fill up and complete his joy in us. C.T. Studd, I think it may have been his last letter home as he was in the depths of the Congo. He gave a backward look over all what we would consider the outstanding events of his amazing ministry. And here's what he rejoiced in, that God called me to China and I went in spite of the utmost opposition from all those that loved me. That I joyfully acted as Christ told the young man to act. He gave away everything he had, a vast fortune. That I deliberately at the call of God went alone on the Bobby Liner in 1910, gave up my life to this work, which was to henceforth uh, uh, be for the whole unevangelized world. My only joys, therefore, are that when God has given me a work to do, I have not refused it. You see, C.T. Studd believed that, if you, that the greatest joy of life was to be completely just surrendered to God and that God would then lead you to do amazing things in your life. And that's where he found the greatest joy. I've had the privilege as a pastor's son to be with some of the sweet Christians of, uh, of years ago. And the one thing I can tell you that marked my life and helped me so much was their constant joyfulness and just that sweet reality of the presence of the Lord. In fact, you know, the thing that really brought John Wesley into salvation was the joy of the Moravians. That's what made him understand that salvation was by faith alone in Jesus Christ. How's our testimony? How are we doing in revealing the reality of the love of God to us? The love of God is manifested by our joy. One of our favorite hymns was inspired by the glowing face of a man who seemed to live continually on the lofty peak of consecration and walk with God. Seeing him in the audience during an evangelistic campaign, a famous preacher noticed his radiant expression. The message that night was about the return of Christ, and often the man with shining countenance would exclaim joyously, yes, yes, and that will be glory for me. After the service, the speaker inquired, who is that brother with the blessed testimony? Oh, that's old glory face. <laughs> He's the Christian who always seems to be on the mountaintop. Well, later, Charles Gabriel, that preacher, was so impressed that he wrote that wonderful hymn, gospel song, Oh, that will be glory for me. Don't you think it's time for those of us that really believe the Word of God to start living like we do? Amen. Uh, not muddled around, worried about everything, trying to earn our way into some kind of relationship with God, feeling empty, feeling like God's not happy with us, just our Christian life is duty and it's hard. And it just, uh, and we have a real tendency sometimes to give up. That's not what God wants. Abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. God is ready to bless each one of us. And my friends, our families and our churches need to have people that radiate divine joy because they know divine love. Let's bow for prayer.